to see you. Good to be back. Uh, Chris and I took a little bit of time off for no uh, other reason than just to seek the face of God. We didn't have anything we were looking for or asking for, but being pastors and leading a church, really important that we're hearing from God. Do you agree on that right there? And so sometimes it's necessary just to say, hey, we're going to take a break here just to listen from God. So here's what we did. Uh, got away for a little while, visited some really cool churches and enjoyed that, but mostly just uh, sought the Lord together as a couple like we've done from the beginning uh, before we started the church. And it's funny how busy you can get. Uh, and here's what I figured out a long time ago. Rest is not the ceasing of activity. It is the condition of your soul. Did you just hear what I said? Rest is not the ceasing of activity. It's the condition of your soul. And I learned a long time ago, when this is messed up on the inside, you can take a lot of vacations and you don't come back feeling rested. But if you can go in the right place spiritually, God can do so much inside of you so that when you come back, you're even more energized than before you left. That's how we feel. Just felt like the Lord did some great things. So it's good to be back. We're excited uh, for this new series. I think, uh, I think God's got a lot of things for us. Uh, two quick things, housekeeping. First, uh, every one of our teaching team was able to, um, to teach while I was gone. So I want to thank all of them, uh, both, uh, both uh, men and women that taught while I was gone. I appreciate their ministry. They did great, and we were able to observe that. Uh, and then also, you heard JJ mention, but I want to say to all of, our, uh, all of our campuses, if you want to be a part of a great worship experience, tomorrow night we resume our first Sundays after a busy first part of the year, including a Super Bowl victory. Uh, and uh, just thought I'd throw that in, uh, that have interrupted our first Sundays. But it's a great time to come together and uh, uh, just, just be together to worship. Six o'clock here at the Lone Tree campuses for all of our campuses. So uh, enough, enough of those things. Um, I got a buddy in the South. I'm, I'm from the South. Been gone long enough where I don't have most of my accent, but I have a lot of friends that are still there, guys that I went to school with that are pastors. Uh, pastors, um, you know, pastors talk about pastor things, and we talk about things that are going on with churches. So the South is infamous for having big church signs that try to express their message to people, and they can be funny, not realizing what they say all of the time. So I got a buddy that we extend, you know, sort of different things that happen that are funny in churches. He sends me church signs. And I got some of these the last couple of weeks, and they just cracked me out. So I thought I'd show them to you real quick. So check this one out right here. Uh, first one, uh, don't, let the worries, uh, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. You know what's funny? I mean, somebody really thinks this is going to be helpful today. This will really, look at this one right here. Uh, honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> real signs. Not fake signs, real signs. All right, uh, check this out. So this is a war. Hold, hold on for a second. Uh, this is a war between two churches across the street. Now, you, you might think to yourself, would, would churches really do this? Um, when I was a youth pastor in Baton Rouge, here we, we were across the street from another church, and we were doing a car wash one day, and they were doing a car wash, and they were trying to get more people to stop, so we, so we started yelling, we got the spirit, yes we do, and they started yelling, we got the spirit, how about you, and then somebody in our group yelled, well we have the Holy Spirit, who do you have, and it turned into this whole thing. So churches can do these things to each other, so this is a real sign, so let me, let me show you real quick. So uh, this Catholic church, all dogs go to heaven. The church across the street responded the following weekend with this sign right here. Only humans go to heaven, read the Bible. <laughs> so the Catholic church responded this way. God loves all his creatures, dogs included. So the church across the street, dogs don't have souls. This is not open for debate. So the Catholic church, Catholic dogs go to heaven. 
Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. <laughs> Converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul. <laughs> Free dog souls with conversion. <laughs> wait, wait, two more. Dogs are animals. There aren't any rocks in heaven either. And the Catholic Church responded, all rocks go to heaven. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Real deal. That's awesome. Huh? All right. <laughs> and with that spirit, let's move into communion. Um, so, so here's what we're doing. Uh, obviously, this month, we've got Easter that comes early. It's at the end of the month, so we're going to start an Easter series. We're calling it the Four Cups. Uh, I taught several years ago on the Four Cups. Here, here's the nature of the message, sort of where I want to go with this. Uh, many times, as Western believers, we're disenfranchised from our Jewish connection to faith from a Jewish connection to faith. So we read our Bible thinking that this applies to us, uh, sort of like this, we'll read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, and we're not sure about the symmetry. We're not sure about the connect. Sometimes they seem so disjointed. I was talking with a guy that was not a believer this week who told me God seems so angry in the New Testament. How do you reconcile that with the God, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, how do you reconcile that with the God in the New Testament? I'm trying to explain that to him. I don't think that a non-believer is the only one that has questions. I think sometimes believers are like, how do these things work together? What's the symmetry? And so what we do a lot of times, we'll read the Old Testament, but we don't, how does this apply to me? So we find ourselves just kind of living out of the New Testament. But here's what the Bible said about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a type or a forecast, but that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. So the Old Testament is God telling people, here's what's coming and here's why it's coming. And then the New Testament, Jesus answers all of those things. So the symmetry, if you could ever understand the Old Testament and what God was saying, these are the things that are coming, and then how Jesus fulfills these things, boy, you could have a better understanding of your faith, I think. And so it's one of the reasons I take people to Israel. It's one of the reasons I try to teach on this stuff from time to time. So this is a little bit kind of of the direction that this series is going to go on, uh, on Easter this year. So at the intro point right here, our Easter series is called The Four Cups. You'll understand why it's the four cups in just a second. I'll show you the scripture. But really, what the four cups represent from the Old Testament, where we get our idea of communion, I'll teach you. But what it really represents for all people today, these are the four core promises that God gives to us. The four core promises that are not just simply something written 3,500 years ago uh, in the book of Exodus. But they're the four core promises that Jesus wants to fulfill in your life. And if these are God's promises for your life, how many of you as believers say, if God wants me to have that, I want that? Yes. And, and this is interesting, because what I'm going to teach you tonight, the very first cup is the cup of sanctification, or our word would be salvation. And here, here this is a statistical fact. 87% of Western believers never move past the place of simple salvation. They get stuck right past that, always working on their problems. They're saved, they're going to heaven. When they die, it's stamped heaven, no problem. But they're stuck in a perpetual place of work. I can't ever get by this stuff. God doesn't want you dealing with your stuff all the time. He wants you to love him. He'll set you free. So these things, man, these are core promises from God. They're so good. So I'm going to take four weeks and we'll end up with the last promise on Easter weekend. Let me begin, uh, let, let's, let's just talk about a little history right now of what we call communion, how we connect it to Easter, and the word Passover, they're all, they're all together. So uh, Matthew 26, starting with the New Testament, this is Jesus uh, who is teaching, uh, Jesus who is about to do something, uh, tells his disciples, this, this is the last weekend he's alive on the earth. 
And he was about to celebrate, we call it the Lord's Supper uh, in, in Western church, but the Lord's Supper really was the Passover. The Passover. So Jesus, Jesus was Jewish. Shocking. <laughs> and in the spirit, I joke with this, but in the spirit, if you're a believer, your last name, Goldstein. Trust me on this. You're grafted into something. So Jesus is about to institute the Lord's Supper. Western believers see this as something that started with Jesus, but the truth of the matter is this had already been going on for 2,000 years. Jesus is just continuing in a promise that God gave to the children of Israel, the children of promise. That's us. Jesus is just continuing in it. So he, he grasps this in, and a Jewish believer who would read this would see the symmetry of the old and the new coming together. But Western believers who don't understand their roots would only see this as something that started with Jesus, and they misunderstand it entirely. So I can't put the whole chapter down. The whole chapter actually deals with this, but you can look at it behind me. Uh, just basically, Matthew 26 teaches about the Lord's Supper, but it starts, the story It begins to unwind this way. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, this Passover, the festival of unleavened bread, for those who would know, every believing Jew, every observant Jew, begins the festival of unleavened bread. Remember the Jews, when they left Egypt, had to leave so quickly that the bread didn't have time to rise. So to commemorate that, so that each Jewish person doesn't forget, God didn't just deliver my ancestors, God delivered me. This is important. They don't, the Bible is not a history book. The Bible is a living breathing document full of God's promises for us today. So when we read these things, uh, 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 an observant Jew, uh, the, the week of Passover, man, they get all the leaven out of their house, they have fun with it, they tell the kids, go through the cabinets and see if you can find any leaven, any yeast, any bread that has, and the kids participate. Why? Because they're trying to teach them, God did this for us, they're trying to teach them through the fun of observing a holiday that God did this for us. Remember. That make sense? All right, so, so that's, that's the, the, the context here. So on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the? Passover. When I point, you answer. To make preparations for you to eat the? Passover. Oh, you're bright. <laughs> I've visited many churches, none as smart as you. <laughs> Speaks to the eloquence of your pastor. <laughs> oh, come on and smile. Gee. That's one thing I didn't miss, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the with my disciples at your house. Then the rest of the story goes this way. We call it the upper room. Jesus meets with his disciples at this man's house. And together, they begin to drink of the cups. Do you remember Jesus is talking about the cup? So we call it today communion, which to us has always just represented either juice or wine and that little piece of bread. But for Jesus, this is a whole, the ceremony. The Passover had four cups of wine. Four cups. And everyone was supposed to participate by, at individual times, drinking of the cups. Let me just ask you this. Why do we drink? Why do we eat? Beyond taking it into ourselves, what's the purpose? Every believer is supposed to participate in the promises of God. It's not supposed to be an optional thing. You're supposed to do what God wants you to do and what he has for you. Amen. So why don't, listen, why don't non-believers take communion? Yes. 
goes back to the Old Testament. Here's what God told them when keeping the Passover. Strangers aren't allowed to take and partake of the Passover meal unless they're circumcised. Aren't you glad we don't put that on the sign out front? <laughs> Would that make the internet or what? Free communion for circumcision. No, I, I, I better stop. I'm gonna, those signs can get you in trouble. Because there's one I didn't tell you about that's, and I can't say it. Yeah. No. No. I, no. I'll get in trouble. Um, <laughs> circumcision was a sign. Remember, it was a covenant. It never took place until God gave it to Moses. And the reason he gave it was, this is a way... For you to enter into something that no, no one else, this is between you and me. This, this sets you apart and makes you different. Okay, what we're taught in the New Testament is that that kind of circumcision is not necessary for us to be in covenant with God, but a circumcision of the heart the Bible talks about. He takes off the old outer, and now we have the inner new. And so only believers in the New Testament, just like in the Old Testament, are supposed to participate. Paul says, if you take it in an unworthy manner, it can actually hurt you. It's a meal for believers coming from the old... I just, I never taught that before, and I found that interesting when I was studying again this week. So Jesus goes to eat the Passover supper. The disciples would have kept the Passover perfectly. They would have had four cups of wine, and each cup represented a core promise from God. The first one is the cup of sanctification. Our word for it would simply be salvation. In the Old Testament, let me just show you quickly where Passover started. What Jesus was doing started all the way back 2,000 years before this, 2,500 years before it actually, in the book of Exodus. So Exodus chapter 6, you can read this with me right here. Uh, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. Remember that they were in slavery in Egypt. And just real quickly for history, they didn't go as slaves. Joseph ended up in Israel, and during a great famine, he had risen to the second highest position in all of the greatest kingdom of the world at that time. And his brothers, who had sold him into slavery, thought he was dead, and they came to Egypt to buy grain, and Joseph was disguised and looked just like an Egyptian. They didn't recognize him. Long story short, when he finally revealed himself to them, he said, what you intended for evil, God has used for good to save many people. He brings his family, and then slowly but surely, all of the Jews, over 430 years, they multiply like crazy, and there's more of them than there are the Egyptians. And Pharaoh... The one, the Bible says he forgot or didn't know about Joseph, began to despise and fear the Israelites because there were so many and he thought they're going to take over. So he put them under the boot and under the whip, made them slaves, and their job was to build really all of the beautiful buildings in Egypt. They made the bricks, they made the stone, they put together the architecture for Egypt of that time. And they were kept as slaves and that was their job and they were in a horrible place. And when God sent Moses to set them free, on that historic occasion, God begins the Passover. Remember what I've done for you. I've set you free. Now, the Old Testament's a type and a shadow. Egypt is not what we fear today, but Egypt represents an enemy who has us as slaves. Amen. And God brings us out of that into freedom or into salvation. Kind of start to make a little sense. So it begins, Jesus is keeping the Passover. Remember Matthew but it begins in Exodus chapter 6, 6 and 7. I am the Lord, this is God speaking, 
and I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Real quickly, the four cups, the Passover, the entire Seder meal, the dinner, what Jesus was celebrating, it's found in this scripture right here, the four I wills. Each one represents the cup. Each one is God himself saying, I'm going to do this. No one else is doing this for you. Only I'm going to do this for you. No one else can do what I can do for you. So the first one is God saying, here's what I will do. I will deliver you from their bond. I'm sorry. I will deliver you. I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. That's the first one. That's the cup right there of sanctification. The second one, a second cup, I will deliver you from their bondage. They almost sound like the same thing. I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. They almost sound the same. What's the difference? I'll teach you about it next week. God got them out of Egypt, but it took a while to get Egypt out of them. I'll teach you about this next week. Because God can set you free, but the reason we never progress past being set free is because we don't get out of us the thing that we were. So we're constantly stuck dealing with our problems. We're constantly falling back into things and never getting free. Why? God wants you way past that. I'm trying. I'm back and I'm younger than ever. All right. (laughs) The, The third cup. So first one, I'll bring you out. I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. Second, I will deliver you from their bondage. Third, I will redeem you. That cup is the cup of redemption. The fourth one, I will take you to me for a people. That's the cup of praise. That'll be the one for Easter. Interesting, the first three is I will do this for you, but the last one is I will make you a group. God's highest place that he puts people in is when we connect to each other in community so that we do something great in this world. By yourself, you can't. That's why many believers struggle. They never hit the community part of what God has for them. You can't get free by yourself. You can't get past by yourself. God never intended you to live your life by yourself. He puts you into a family or a small group or a (laughs) D-track. For those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the cup of salvation. I will bring you out of slavery. Interestingly enough, I'm I'm studying it for the last couple of weeks. While I'm gone, I actually begin to write notes for this, and I have time to really sit. I'm not in in a hurry. I can just sit before the Lord, and I can just write, and I can just hear, and I can just think about this, and I can can throw out my ideas and my thoughts, and it doesn't matter what I say because, you know, I'm not preaching it yet. So I, I can just throw it out there before God, and God never laughs at me. And I just have a time to sit and... and, and so let me, let me just throw this thought out to you. The same spirit, demonic spirit, that existed 4,500 years ago over the people of God at that time is still alive today, wanting to harass the people of God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use three events, three things that this demonic spirit did to the people of God 4,500 years ago, but I'm going to show you how it's still active today And this is what God wants to bring people out of. When we're talking about salvation, by the way, let me just say this real quick, salvation. For most believers, we reduce salvation to this sentence, when I die, I'm going to. That is such a narrow understanding of salvation. I'm... 
most people reduce their salvation to a real narrow understanding of when I die, I'm going to heaven. Yes, and that's wonderful, but here's the good news. Jesus came to bring you life now, and not just any life, but the abundant life now. So salvation is for then, but it's also for right now. It's the way you live now, and the freedom you have now, and the joy you have now, and what God wants to do in abundance in your life now. That's why I say most Christians, they get salvation, I'm going to heaven. But they never live the abundant life. When does the abundant life start? I don't remember. When I get through the D track, <laughs> I can't make it to number four. If I could just get to four. <laughs> so the demonic bondage, then and now. All right, so they're in slavery under Egypt. The Pharaoh is afraid of them. The Egyptians are afraid of them because there's so many. So rather than approach them on that, like, what are your intentions and what do you want to do and do we make you a part of things, they decide to put them in slavery, put them under the boot, under the whip, control them. And so this spirit that was on Pharaoh to treat them harshly and to, to, to just destroy them, to drive them, the three things that Pharaoh did to them while they were in slavery, if you know the story, uh, the first one, they were forced as slaves to make bricks every day. They had a certain quote of the brick. Why did they make bricks? Because they were responsible for the building of the great treasuries of Egypt. That was their job, to make the bricks. Sun up to sundown. Egypt is close to the equator, so on an average they have a 12-hour day. So these guys are working 12 hours a day. Now just remember this for a moment. It's important. Sun up to sundown, they made bricks. So they're working a 12-hour day. So this is, this is forced slavery, forced work. Uh, they're forced to do something that if left to their own, they probably don't do that. That's not, there's no redeeming quality in it for them. They're being forced to do this. I would just say this and, and think about this. The Bible uses the word God saying, I will bring you out of slavery. Uh, what is a slave? So I just simply went to Webster's Dictionary. Here's the definition of a slave. Uh, anytime you're submitted to a dominating influence that you can't say no to, you're a slave. Let me say it again. Anytime you are submitted to a dominating influence you can't say no to. That makes you a slave. This thing enslaved them by forcing them to make something they didn't want to make, to do something they didn't want to do. It was, it was, a, it, it was forced labor. <laughs> Today, <laughs> to be compelled and submitted to an influence you... How about this? There are people compelled by influences of habits. People compelled by... Spending can be an influence you just can't say no to. So you and I laugh about that. You can joke about that. But there are people in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt who have made themselves a slave. Do you agree? Disagree? Be a slave to bitterness. You can be a slave to your past. You can be a slave to a situation you're in right now. You can die and go to heaven, but be stuck as a slave here and now. And Jesus said, I came to bring you abundant life. In fact, he was asked this question, what is eternal life? John 17, verse 3. What is eternal life? And Jesus said, when you die, you go to heaven. No. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, 
and your son whom you've sent. Knowing God is a relationship that happens here, that's carried out there. It doesn't start when we get there. Do you hear what I said? Salvation is now. It's here and now. It's not just simply when I die, I go to heaven. That's the benefit of salvation, the reward of salvation. Salvation is the life that God has called you into now. So when does that start? A slave again. Anytime you're submitted to a dominating influence, you can be a slave to a habit, a slave to an addiction. Here's how people say it to me. I, f- I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I can't get out. Sometimes I feel like I can't help myself. Yes or no, that's a slave. Do you agree by definition that's a slave? So if I had a word for it, in a word... You feel enslaved. Enslaved to an attitude. Enslaved to your past. Enslaved to where you're going in the future. Jesus be with whatever that is going on right there. But in a word, you feel enslaved. By the way, while I'm gone, I read this. I knew it without ever reading it. But now I read it and I've got proof. When you have to fill in the blanks, you remember five times the amount of information than without taking notes. That's why you take notes. Take notes, man. Get this inside of you. In a word, people feel enslaved. One of the things that God said, I will deliver you from, is being enslaved. The second thing Pharaoh did to the children of Israel, he murdered their babies. Do you remember the story? They were so numerous. And then the prophecy came forth that from them is going to come a deliverer, male. And so Pharaoh decreed, by the way, this isn't biblical history. You could actually find this in world history. There is a relief on a wall in Egypt today that they found that depicts Pharaoh giving the decree to kill the babies. It was the male children, and here's how he did it. He had them thrown into the Nile. Now, this is not a political statement. This is not, Pastor John's not trying to say, it's just to make a statement. The devil is always trying to kill children, it seems to me. In every generation, at every time. So let me just talk about this for a minute. How does that same spirit work today? Uh, Can you agree with this, that when you take away the future, you're taking away the potential of what things could be? God, doesn't that seem like something the enemy would love to do is to kill potential? So you take away that seed and you take away that future and you kill the potential of what that could have been, what it could be, what it represents. In essence... What the enemy really wanted to do was to kill the upcoming potential. So in a word, a people that lose their potential would feel empty. They would feel empty. So it's rhetorical, but let me just ask you, do you ever just feel like, is this all there is? Do you ever just say to yourself, there's got to be more? Do you ever just think to yourself, God, That's empty. And here's what God said I want to set you free from. The enemy keeping you from your potential. The highest level of salvation is not that you're dying and going to heaven. The highest level of salvation is to be connected to why you were born in the first place. That wasn't in my notes. Write that down. That was 
<laughs> the third thing that the Spirit put on them, at the end, it required them to collect their own straw to make bricks. In order to make the bricks, they had to have straw. And here's how it worked. The Egyptians, every morning, would lay straw by the mud pit. But here's what Pharaoh did. He got so angry at Moses coming to him and saying, let my people go, that he came up with a devious plan to turn the children of Israel against the deliverer. And here's what he did. He said, obviously, you have more time on your hands than you need. So we will no longer give you straw. You've got to go out and gather your own straw. But you cannot diminish the amount of bricks that are due every day. Now, how long were they working? Sun up to sundown, remember? Now they've got to go find their own straw. And here's what the Bible says. They had to search throughout the country to get straw. And if they didn't deliver their quota, they were beaten with whips and fists. Seems to me that today, the number one thing that I see as a pastor in our society more than anything else is the devil simply tries to wear people out with more, more, more. While all the time you have less, less, less. He just puts it on you and drives and drives and drives. I'm going to say it again. Here's where the statement comes from. Rest is not ceasing from activity. Rest is a condition of the soul. And here's what Jesus promises with salvation. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and tired, because I want to give you rest. Let's do the great exchange is what Jesus says. Give me your burdens and take my yoke upon you because it's light and it's easy. And here's how I want you to live your life. He doesn't call a person to laziness, but he calls a person to a condition of rest. Here's what I know. You can be super busy, but if you're doing something you love doing, you don't feel burnt out. You know what burnt out comes from? Doing stuff that doesn't matter in the long run. Think about it. What makes you the most tired is having to do stuff all the time that you know this, this isn't making a difference. This doesn't matter. And I can't get away from it. And that's what God promises. The first core promise is the cup of salvation. Drink of this cup because I'm calling you out of these things. Most Christians get, when I die, I'm going to heaven. But they live their life being compelled to do the things the enemy is trying to drive them with. Pastor, how do I get beyond that? Come next week and I'll take... No, here's... <laughs> Let me give you a simple, a, a simple thought and the power of the idea of Jesus teaching us the Israelites, the children of Israel, here's what God told them with the Passover, celebrate what I'm doing for you, but in the future, celebrate this forever. He never said this is only until Jesus comes. Celebrate the Passover, so that when Jesus comes, what is Jesus celebrating? The Passover. So Jesus takes the Passover supper, and this is what he tells all the disciples. Do this in perpetual memory of, so here's what it means. Don't drink it and think, oh, I remember Jesus. It means to go back to the point in time where Jesus is active, moving, doing the miraculous, 
and bring that past to your presence so you participate with Jesus today in salvation. Not just in your memory that Jesus used to do these things, but Jesus is doing these things right now. The power of communion then is that when we understand what God has, we can partake of it. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. What did that demonic spirit do? Kill, steal, and destroy. What does it do today? Kill, steal, and destroy. Here's the exact opposite. But I have come that they may have life and have it. Jesus does the opposite. Salvation is for here and for heaven. So here's my question. How's that working for you right now? When you hear this message, filter it through your life. How's it really working for you? So I know at times for me, I, I, I still feel so connected to, how's this working for me right now? Am I really walking in the fullness that God has for me? But yeah, when I realize that our prayer for you, the staff praying even before the start of this service, here's what the staff is praying. God, let us remember, this is not just something in the past, but it's something you want to bring us to right God, here's what I, walk in freedom today. Walk in the fullness of the life that God has for you. Don't be okay with it not being what the promises of God are. And if you don't know what the promises are, this would be a great series for you to learn what the four, co four core promises of God are. Yeah, if this is what God wants for us, why wouldn't we want this to happen in our lives? See, on your seat are these little individual communion cups. By the way, it's, they're not the greatest way to take communion, but it's going to work for what I want to do. So the way that they would participate, the very first thing that they would do is that everyone was supposed to participate in taking into themselves, these are the promises of God. So, yeah, look around. There should have been one on your seat. Look on the floor. Maybe people pushed them off. Yeah, if you don't have one, I see people got extras. Maybe just anybody need one? You don't have one? You need them? Everybody got them? So I need one right here. I want everybody to take it. So if you need one, just hold your hand up real quick. We'll make sure you get one. I think it's everybody. Okay, so that little top part, it's a piece of plastic with a really groovy mint. Take that out right there. I'm kidding. So this, growing up a Catholic kid, this is what the wafer was like right here. And it's just simply bread that's been compressed and then dried out, but it's going to represent for us today what I want. So God's promise is just simply the very first thing that they were to do. In the Passover supper, there are four different cups, and at four different times in the meal, they talk about what God's done for them. The first one is that God has saved us. God has rescued us. God has drawn us out from slavery. And at that point, everybody at the supper They'd pass the cup around and everybody would drink from it if they wanted to participate in what God had done. How many of you want to participate in the full salvation that God has? They had a Passover lamb. All of the children of Israel had to go out and touch the lamb because before they'd kill the lamb, they had to realize this lamb is dying because my sins are being put on this lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And those who want to participate with it, you remember the story in the Passover? They'd take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorpost of their house. When the angel of death passed over because he saw they had appropriated what God had given for them, 
The only ones that were struck were the people who didn't participate in what God had. Do you want to participate? So what you're saying, if you're going to take this tonight, I'm asking you if you want promises of God, if you want Jesus in your life. So if you're saying yes, then you can take this meal with great health and hope tonight. Let's take it together right here. Let's drink together. So Father, what we do when we do this is not simply a product of a bygone time or era. God, we're not looking back 4,000 years and trying to recreate an experience from them. God, what you want is to make it new and fresh for us now by giving us something that has been your purpose for your people for 4,000 years. God, as we remember Jesus and the work of Jesus and we connect it to the Passover, God, we take into us right now your promises and your salvation. We are saved from destruction so that when we die, because we believe, you do open eternal life to us. But God, it's not just eternal life that you came to give us. It was a life here and now. And we take these promises into ourselves, God, not just salvation for heaven, but God, you set back what's been stolen from us. You set us free from what's kept us captive. God, the promises of God are for now. God, open us up. Help us to enter into what you have for us. Lord, I just bless you and I bless the work of your hands, your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Fathers, people hear this message and I know some will filter. God, I feel stuck, John. I get salvation, but I'm stuck. Hang on. Hang on. I truly believe God is going to redeem, to restore, to put back the original intention of why you're here. For those of you who begin just right now, like, I just want those promises and I want to walk in what God has for me, man, I say amen to you. When you hear about a promise of God, it's supposed to make something in your spirit go, yes, I want that. And you're supposed to become almost violent to get a hold. If God wants me to have this, nothing's going to stop me from getting it. I pray that spirit would rise up in you to you just, I will not settle for less than what God has for my life. God, I pray we'd be a group of people who it could not be said they made it to the first level and stopped. God, do fully what you have in mind with us. And I thank you for that now, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, church. Good to be back. Great to have him back. Yeah.